Are you in a rut? Stressed by the demands of your personal, professional, and social lives? Join lifestyle guru Pauline Brown right now for Tastemakers. That's really where people can really make the celebrated individual the centerpiece. She invites her friends to share tips of the trade and new ideas for bringing out the best in you. My real passion is style, and not just style, but design, beauty, all things aesthetic. Turn the mundane into the memorable with Pauline Brown on Tastemakers. Welcome back to Tastemakers. I'm your host, Pauline Brown. This week, we are going to address a topic that I, for one, never get enough of. Uh, the topic, trends, and it's specifically trends in fashion and beauty and more broadly in aesthetics, and the effect that these trends have on all of us, on how we live, how we shop, even where we shop. Now, I've covered this topic in the past, and I've covered it usually in the context of all the changes we're seeing thanks in large part to the internet age. What's interesting is I have two guests who've been on the show before, but they haven't been on the show since we've been in what I'm now calling the COVID age. And many of the behaviors and the shifts that we've pointed to have either accelerated or completely undone and gone in very different directions. And, and, and it's still very bewildering to me as to which one of them, which, which ones will stick and which ones will dissipate and what this new normal will look like if there'll ever be a new normal or an old normal again. So, um, so my guests today, they each bring a host of experience in uh, discussing what I'll call consumer tides. Uh, they're very insightful. They're very dynamic. Uh, they're a lot of fun. I'm going to reintroduce them. I have with us in, in the studio, meaning the Zoom studio, Leslie Guys. Welcome back, Leslie. So great to be here. I love doing this. As uh, some of you may recall from the three or four times she's already been on the show, She's an EVP at Toby TBG, which is a division of the Doniger Group. It's basically a creative think tank and it works with clients in fashion and retail, hospitality, other consumer businesses, and tells them where the world is going and what it means for them. Uh, and when she's not there, when she's not actually working for Toby, she uh, has a number, a number of other outlets for her passion for fashion. She and I sat together on the board of Parsons. She's still a board member there and, um, and she's very fashionable. So again, great to have <laughs> you back. You. So nice to be here. And Annie Carullo, Annie and I go back a long way. Uh, Annie um, is a veteran in the cosmetics world, uh, although her creativity extends well beyond that. Uh, she and I worked together going back over 20 years ago at the Estee Lauder companies. She uh, held a number of different roles there, uh, ultimately retiring as the senior vice president of global product development. She worked for a lot of brands. I remember when um, she was actually on a big wave to reinvent prescriptives, which by the way, was so ahead of its time. And uh, she also is widely credited with having created the um, force of nature, Tom Ford Beauty, which uh, continues to be one of my favorites. So uh, she now, by the way, in her supposed retirement is an independent creative consultant here in New York. She works for a lot of startups. Welcome back, Annie. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to be with you again. So um, I'm going to start because I've teased everyone by saying we're going to take our crystal ball out and look at the future. Um, and I know in particular, Leslie, you don't like being referred to as a futurist, but you are. You are about as prescient as anyone I know when it comes to really seeing where things are going. And Annie, 
it, when you think about your old role in the beauty industry, because you were making products that might not get to market for another two or more years, you had to be a futurist of sorts as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me just ask you both, because a lot of people hear that and they say, so what, what, what makes a good futurist? I mean, there are a lot of people who have predictions, but most of the time they're wrong. What do you think? Let's start with you, Leslie. What makes somebody well-equipped to actually see where the world is going? Um, I actually don't. I actually don't mind the term futurist. I I generally don't like the term trend forecaster because I think that's a that's a little bit more constrained. I think that what what it really has to do with is um, kind of understanding cadence and understanding consumer um, behaviors. So I think you, if you are not trying to look for trends, but you're observing and you're watching how things transform, I think that you have a better chance of um, projecting how things are gonna evolve, how things are gonna adapt, how things are gonna change. So to me, it really comes down to um, observing and sort of, um, the, the other big thing I think that's, that's important is not to stay in just one lane. Like you have to kind of look at all the different sort of complementary or, or tentacled areas of whatever you're thinking about. So if you're thinking about fashion, you have to think about beauty. You have to think about home and, and interiors. You have to think about um, hospitality. You have to think about um, what's going on aesthetically in digital, like digital components of all of those things. So if you're kind of looking at all the different um, areas across a, a person's lifestyle, because most businesses, if you're in the beauty industry, you're thinking about beauty trends. I mean, I think this is how it was conventionally. I think people are learning faster not to do this solely, but if you are in the beauty industry looking for what's happening in beauty, you'll miss things. Mm -hmm. You have to be in the beauty industry looking at what's happening in beauty, but also looking at what's happening in fashion, looking at what's happening with, you know, this is a very simple example, but filters on social media. Um, you have to be looking at um, entertainment and media and what is happening. I mean, obviously we'll touch on Bridgerton and all of those <laughs> things that are creating, um, you know, moments. So mm -hmm. you have to kind of be out there and, and be willing to sort of take those cues from everywhere and then not run off on any one cue, but kind of tie them together to see what matters to people and why it matters to people. And then I think, you know, it's not so hard to project forward. I think mm -hmm. it's harder to, to be, you know, specific to one industry, I think that the diversity of, of looking at things makes it easier to see the commonalities and the things that interest people. I mean, what you're describing in scientific terms, it's like pattern recognition, right? right? But where that becomes very uh, tricky is that there are patterns that can take you down the wrong path as well. You have to know also how to deconstruct and which ones are the leading indicators and which ones are lagging. Um, yeah. And Annie, you, you're a good example of somebody who was in one very particular industry, which is beauty, but you had to look, I'm assuming, well beyond beauty to understand what product would work in the next few years. Where were some of your sources of inspiration? What was the process like for you to even come up with a new line or a new item? Well, um, honestly, I kind of really pride myself and the teams that I've worked with to sort of stay out of uh, what Leslie said, the beauty, the beauty lane, because one of the things, and I, and I do teach a little bit, but one of the things I do teach about uh, creative concept development is really 
not looking at where you're standing, because if you do that, you're just going to sort of either reinvent what's already there or duplicate what's already there. Um, there there's, it's interesting because I was in Sephora recently, and it's interesting because when you walk there, you, you almost think, did everyone have the same idea? Did every brand want to go into charcoal? Uh, <laughs> did every brand want to do like a, a water fusion moisturizer? And, you know, obviously a lot of that is led by the retailer who wants to create, you know, this, this environment and really blow it out. For me, I have always found great inspiration from many other industries, but related. So, and, and, and they're getting tighter and closer and they're moving faster. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, when I was at Prescriptives, as an example, one of my great source of inspiration was interior design, design, the automotive industry, especially because they were so advanced in the area of color, in, in, in the area of innovative color technology. And I was always sort of really um, inspired by how they were able to create such incredible depth and dimension of color, such saturation, and often thought about how do I reapply that idea into beauty? And one of the products that we launched as a result of that was a product called Virtual Skin. And um, it was really about creating something that uh, really looked, acted, and moved like real skin as opposed to opacity. Uh, which traditional makeups looked like at the time. Today, I think a lot of inspiration comes from the food industry and from the health um, community. I mean, think about people talking about biotic, probiotics and people talking about the microbiome. I mean, okay, I get gut health, but now you see so much of that converted into skin health. And so I really do think that keeping your eyes out on what's happening in terms of what Leslie said, consumer behavior, consumers are adapting to certain things and they're usually positive things. So if you're, you're questioning, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, usually the, the, the path you take is the trends that are more positive, uplifting, and um, right now certainly health and wellness is priority in every asset, uh, in every specific area of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to take a quick break, but when we're back, I actually want to come back to that very topic of what you're seeing now, uh, positive as well as negative, and some of the shifts, in, not so much just in terms of the trends, but also in terms of the source of them. You know, 10 years ago, if we were having this conversation, nobody would be talking about influencers, but what makes someone an influencer and what is that actually meaning when you're a product developer, for example? So we have a lot to talk about. I will save my voice uh, for when we come back from this quick break. Stay with us talking with Leslie Guise and Annie Carullo, two of the best minds in the consumer world. We'll be right back. Now, more with Pauline Brown on Tastemakers on Sirius XM Stars. Hello and welcome back to Tastemakers. This is Pauline Brown. I'm here this hour with Leslie Guise and Annie Carullo. Annie is a longtime product developer and innovator in the cosmetics world. She now has a creative consultant, works with a lot of very funky indie brands. And Leslie is uh, one of the uh, sharpest advisors to retailers and others on, on consumer trend, on um, new formats, on uh, how fashion and beauty and other industries are reshaping the consumer and how the consumer is reshaping those industries. So lots to talk about in, um, in this hour. Let me start though, Annie, right before we went to break, you mentioned that there are some positive trends that you're seeing now. And I'm assuming that 
there emanated out of, sort of two major um, you know, forces in our world, let's call it the American world. One is what's happening with the pandemic and all of the constraints that's created and the, the, the needs that it's amplified. And then the second is, I think some, some of the political strife and this sort of polarization, which we've never seen in our lifetime, uh, not to the extent, but uh, there may be some others you'd like to point to, but, but talk to me, what is, what, just, just if we stay with those two major forces, how is that playing out in terms of makeup or interior design? Well, um, if I may, you know, I, I had a conversation not too long ago about these polarizing trends and I find them a little amusing because we are in a moment, uh, of course, uh, about transparency and truth and transparency and truth everywhere from our politicians, from our uh, uh, teachers, from just everyone. It's all about transparency. It's all about truth. And certainly in the beauty industry and certainly in the fashion industry, uh, we really want to know where things come from. We really want to know um, if they are, you know, part of this echo cycle and recyclable or what is recyclable versus biodegradable, what is half plastic with rice with, you know, it's just so confusing, but there is an absolute demand to sort of understand the truth and the transparency. And then there's also, you know, in terms of formulation and developing, I want to know what's in it. I want to know what's not in it. I want to make sure that there's nothing in it that's um, you know, being um, sort of bad for you or these ingredients that have gotten a lot of bad rap. And that's where I go to the conflict. We are all about truth and transparency and you brought up influencers, right? So we're about truth and transparency, yet we're led by many influencers who are not about truth mm -hmm. and who are not about trans uh, transparency. We care a lot about our formulas being clean and not bad for us, but yet we inject ourselves with Botox and toxins and fillers and things of that nature. So it's a very interesting place that we sit right now. And it's very easy to fall one way or the other, but without purpose or meaning, I think that brands, people, politicians, teachers, parents can really get lost. Mm. It, well, it's, it's confusing, but it's also deceptive. There's a lot of fake truth, right? right. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are positioning themselves as authorities who really, they're not scientists. They have no right to have an opinion on what's good for you and what's not, and they're powerful. Yes. So, you know, we, we, this is, I mean, I, I see this all the time. Um, Leslie, would, would you add anything to that in terms of these sort of polarizing effect and how they're playing out and some of the friction that Annie uh, referred to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so interesting. I find the whole thing so interesting because um, it's, it feels like right now, at least from my perspective, and I don't know that I would have the most, I would, in my, from my, with my background and my kind of sort of position in life right now and my age and my um, geographic, sort of location i don't i don't think that I, there would be too much uh appeal to my opinion but um i find it i and i also i have children which i think for people who have children of a certain age right now this is a particularly um 
challenging time. I don't think it's more challenging or more requires more, you know, attention than anybody else is going through. But I think you worry for on two counts. You worry on your own count and what you're seeing happening, and you worry for your children and whatever stage they're at. And so some children are more vulnerable stage than other. I find it quite. Um, I don't find it as, as polarizing. I feel like is is makes sense. But if I really think about it, I find it confusing and and conflicting in that I feel like what's up is down, what's down is up, what's black is white, what's white is black, what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right. Like I find it almost undigestible in -hmm. terms of what we are hearing, seeing, doing, who's got attention, who doesn't have attention. There is no equity in mm. terms of who gets coverage, who gets the influence, who does is able to say what's right and who's able to say what's wrong. And I think this is very, very publicized, but there is a true concern that you are only permitted one opinion in this country now. And if it is not the opinion that has been deigned the correct opinion, you are not permitted to have another opinion. So I think that there's going to be a lot of pent up expression um, because very, there's many people who don't feel like they're permitted to say what they feel, even if that's a right as uh, in, in our country, you're not permitted to say what you feel and it's too, it's too scary. So I, I am interested in how that plays out in terms of how people express themselves through fashion and beauty and behavior and all that. I, I think that this is going to be much less straightforward than we Mm. are projecting right now. I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns and surprises on how things come out. And I think that there's not going to be any real um, formula for mm-hmm. projecting how things are going to happen. I think that there was a formula that we all felt quite comfortable with. And when we were talking before about how you track that, how you how you put that formula into action and track what's going to happen and how you can build your brand or business around that. There was, there were some levers that moved and, and, and gave you, um, you know, variables, but there was sort of a program. Mm. I think that we're not going to have that anymore. And one of the things that I was thinking while we were talking before is tracking and understanding the cadence of what's going to happen is one thing, but also infusing interest and excitement and optimism and energy into a project, a brand, a product, a look, an aesthetic is really, really important. And without all that's gone on politically, so socially, um, uh, you know, in terms of public health, there was in there that was stripped out of the process quite a bit. Many, many people thought they were being original and creative and and exciting, but they weren't. They were following the leader as best they could because they were trying to project. So I think it'll be interesting to see um, what this this interruption will will affect obviously many things. But I think we were already on a path where. Um, it, it wasn't going to play out as expected in the first place. And now I think it's even yeah. more of a tangled chain. I mean, you're, you're bringing up a really interesting point, this sort of paradox. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm seeing more and more conversation in the industries I've been in, including beauty and fashion, 
I'm also seeing more and more representation of let's just say body inclusivity or racial uh, you know, inclusivity and representation, right? And at the same time, and looking, in, and Leslie, you and I are both mothers of 16-year-old daughters, I have never seen in my life more self-consciousness of one's body, whatever size and whatever shape you are. So I don't know that that's really a, um, a, a, a sort of a rep, that that that's a symbol of acceptance. I think people are so aware of every, their knees, their elbows, their you know cheekbones, every little curvature. And I also think we're more racially aware now in this Black Lives Matter than I remember being in my life, more aware of what we say. And as you say, Leslie, whether that that will cancel us or uh, show sensitivity. Um, and, and maybe that's just the, the, the natural process you go through on the way to progress, but it is a really confusing time. Well, I, I feel like also that I think we should be not necessarily choosing sides on issues all the time as much as choosing good and and not you know what's good and right versus and i know that that's subjective obviously what's good and right but i i feel like it's it's usually there's sides to everything instead of like this is good and this is right this is the right thing to do or the good thing to do versus what's being done or not being done i don't know i find it i find like we're almost we're dividing the, the issues on the wrong premise often. Mm. So Annie, do you have something to add? Uh, I have a feeling your, uh, your mind is a buzz. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's going in a lot of different directions. And I, I, I agree that we are in a very peculiar space and place. Um, but I was just thinking about, you know, even pre 2019, or even how we went about doing a lot of our work um, in the beauty industry, and it was about, you know, obviously driving business and um, attracting new customers and, and, and making your products, even old ones, even the, the, the legacy ones, relevant. And a lot of it was sort of dissecting the formulation. Let's say you take something like Advanced Night Repair, and it was sort of, you know, a product that's been around for 65 years. How do you make it relevant to a consumer group that, A, never really cared about skincare, um, at a young age and B, how do you make it relevant in terms of what it means to you, what it means to me and what we were doing at a certain time. I'm not quite sure if they do it anymore, but we were almost dissecting the benefits of that product on a variety of different ethnic skins. And I, it would be very interesting to see how, uh, in today's world, in today's climate, how you can, uh, do the right verbiage that doesn't, um, put anyone off. Mm -hmm. but then sort of suggests that this was specifically a claim for black skins, for Hispanic skins, for Asian skins. And I think that there is um, a, a, a possibility that this idea of inclusivity um, is actually exclusivity. Um, because if everybody's in and everybody's included, then where is a special aspects of individuals from their background and ethnicities and et cetera. So I fear that we will lose that mm -hmm. very specific um, marketing, business development, product development. Um, I know that every time I look at a, a beauty ad or many ads, there is the, what I call the trifecta of, of, of skins. There's, you know, typically a white girl, black girl, an Asian girl, 
or maybe someone who's mixed sometimes. And it's almost becoming so bland and benign that I'm it, the brands are invisible. So I, I hope that there are meaningful ways to communicate in a way that really elevates what we've ever what we've done in the past. Yes. And then we could build on, you know, learning from this incredible time in our lives and do something really of value and of benefit. What I hate to see happen and what does happen is everything that's gone on before is wiped out as terrible. And um, it's sort of like when uh, a, a new boss starts and you're working now for a new person and that new person sort of thinks everything that went on before they came in was horrible, but you were part of that horribleness. So you're like, wait a minute, hold on. You know, so I, that's one of the things I think we need to be very focused on is, is simply to build on the positive, um, to learn from this incredible time we're living in and not just sort of pretend that we're starting from scratch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, are there some brands, let's just stick with beauty for a minute, that really excite you? Hi, interesting question. Um, there are not necessarily new brands. Some of the new brands piss me off, actually. <laughs> they piss me off, too. <laughs> they actually really piss me off because it's like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, why are you here? <laughs> because you have lips? I mean, you know, that shouldn't be a prerequisite to have a, a brand. But that's, you know, I won't go into that crazy direction. So, so among the maybe the more established ones, which which ones you think are doing it right? or, or I actually happen to think like if I look at skincare, honestly, I, I think that I, I love Dr. Dart. I think that that um, Dr. Dart, it's I think that they do some really straightforward, really specific product positions and, and compositions. I think those are really cool. I love Sunday Riley. I really do. Um, I, I, I think we talk about trends. I think that some brands become at the mercy of certain retailers that they sort of are guided by those requests. And I think what made some of these brands like Drunk Elephant or Sunday Riley or um, let's see, Too Faced or uh, Mac even in its day uh, was that they didn't care what the trend was. They didn't look to the left, they didn't look to the right, they didn't look to behind, they were, they were trendsetters. And in order to be a trendsetter, you can't really care where yeah. the world is, you have to sort of invent it. And there's nothing wrong with being on trend or following a trend, but when you're setting them, um, you have to be, you know, really, really focused on your own um, create creativity, your own vision, your own inspiration, as opposed to being led. So yes. um, those are some of the brands that I really like. Um, and if I think of any others, I'll let you know. <laughs> I did see, and you may not be able to comment on it, but I can, that Bobby Brown just launched a skincare line, Jones oh, Road. No, yeah. And my reaction, and having never tried the products, was does the world need another so-called pure, simple brand? Um, and it, do you have the authority? I, you know, you're not a scientist, you were a good makeup artist in your day. So I, I reacted with a bit of sort of, I guess, disbelief or dismissiveness. Maybe there'll be a market for it, I'm not sure. But I find that there's, we don't need more of the same. We certainly don't, we need more editing and mm -hmm. we need more integrity. So that her that new line struck me as a marketing, you know, play that that she wanted to answer the milk, you know, and sort of the Fenty and the um, Glossiers and 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 those sort of that level of uh, product line. I think she I think that was like a, you know, like uh, getting jumping in that right. pool. But I think uh, to Annie's point, 
uh, what made back in its day a Mac so successful is it emanated yeah. from the personality of the owners. She's not a millennial. Emily Weiss has a right to do Glossier because mm. that is her, a manifestation mm. of her. I agree. That's where. That's why I, I was saying before, like there's the originality and the 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 sort of creativity and originality has been thrown to the side in the name of being on the same train as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that if Bobby Brown and I don't know, look, I don't know what she was thinking or doing. I don't want to sort of denounce it, but I I'm sure that if if that there it wasn't. In an effort to stay competitive, I, I wonder what she would have come up with. Mm, yes. Do you, you know, know what I mean? if she would have even thought of skincare. Yeah, you know, the, the well, interesting thing. She has skincare, I think. Yeah, I, uh, her brand does, right? Yeah. But um, the interesting thing about anyone in getting involved in a business this day, these days, it's interesting because it goes to the time we live in, right? Everyone, every founder has to have a reason for coming up with this idea or wanting to be in it or you know I created this acne line because you know I had such terrible self-esteem in high school and I really suffered la 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 so I didn't find anything that worked for me so I created something on my own so that story plays on and on and on and the days of well you know I just wanted to get into the business and decided to like launch you know this was the category that no one was sort of so we we're at a point now where the story has to be authentic it has to come from a real inspiration the thing about bobby from 90s was that it was a real inspiration she was a working makeup artist she couldn't find beige to brown lipstick and she had a point of view i think that what happens is when you just use your um celebrity or name or whatever uh which many people have done without a real point of view or reason for existing um you know, I want to wear black lipstick and there's no black lipstick. So I create a whole range of it. If you have a point of view, I can respect it. Yeah. Um, so let, me, let me ask you a question switching to fashion. So it came out uh, recently that uh, LVMH, my former employer, closing down uh, the Fenty fashion line, mm -hmm. whilst the other a sort of arm of the company, um, which owns the Fenty cosmetic line, is thriving. Why do you think, and, and of course, at, at the same time, um, a offshoot of the company, an investment group, was investing in the Savage Fenty uh, lingerie line. Mm -hmm. Why, why did, does part of that business work? And obviously the fashion did not work. And does it, it, would you say Rihanna is an example, much like Bobby, of somebody who has celebrity, is using it effectively in some businesses, but doesn't necessarily have a point of view? What, what's your feeling, um, either of you? Um, my, my feeling on the, the fashion end of things was that it was really a very, um, her, her influence is very, um, very focused on a particular, like a sort of aesthetic sort of uh, style. Like she has a particular style. If you say Rihanna, I think everybody thinks like a sweatpant, a sweatshirt, a Timberland shoe or a high heel shoe with a sweatshirt. Uh, suit with a sweatpant or that denim jacket like dress that she did like I think there's a particular things you think about her I also think that the logistical decisions they made and I don't really know I'm not on the inside of that but the pricing was incredibly incredibly high for what it was mm -hmm. it was I think it was coming out of the out of Paris, not at it. It was hard to get it to you in the United States, where I think she has, you know, a lot of territory and influence. You couldn't get it to you. The price points were so high, like you literally had to 
give your social security number to get it shipped over to you. <laughs> so I mean, I, seriously, and like when you, they ask you for your social security, you're like, eh, I don't really want that. Um, so I think that that was an issue. I think they had a lot of, I think it, it was like a really great experiment to learn things on the apparel end. I think that the, 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 the um, beauty and the lingerie was much more um, attainable and um, kind of thought through in terms of just a, a, a very straightforward um, offering. Yeah. I think the fashion had a lot of different um, things about it that were making it difficult to sell, difficult to get into people's hands. Um, like, like the way they were dropping the collections was, was lovely because it was, it had a certain seasonless to it, ness to it. But again, you couldn't get it in, into your hands. I, I would guess also that fit was a bit of an issue. Mm, mm. Of, <laughs> but I think she has cred in the area. I think, and again, I have zero information on it, it from the inside, but my guess from the outside is that ex, it was not executed uh, properly, some some bad choices were made that affected the rest of the the, yeah. the offering. And um, Annie, do you think the Fenty makeup line will be a force to reckon with in five ten years from now, or do you just think it's well timed for where we are? Well, I actually think that she made quite an imprint in the beauty industry um, based on a point of view that was real and authentic, um, and it's also from what I I know. Uh, intimately uh, from the line and being very close to it along with, with being actually in the industry at the time where she set to um, engage the underserved. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't realize that that is a big business opportunity is when you look at people talk about white space opportunity, uh, which is, you know, an area that maybe a brand or company or person isn't addressing, but actually a bigger opportunity is this black space opportunity, which is underserved um categories and what she did very brilliantly was she took a look at the shades uh skin tones uh and realized that most of the companies that were predominant in the categories uh were not addressing the outliers very 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 light skinned uh very very dark skinned uh very very blue undertones so she really made an imprint and i think it was meaningful and i think it's real mm. I also think that some of the products that she's launched have been of great quality. Mm. Others, not so much, mm -hmm. um, but th those will fall to the wayside. I mean, everyone, you know, will have some tweaks and twacks. So the answer to your question is yes, I think she will. The unfortunate thing is since it's launched, I don't feel her presence on the brand. Yeah. And I, I think that that's going to be a problem. I think it's a problem for a lot of good brands that have launched with a point, strong point of view is they tend to lose the face and the voice of the creator. And that's when it kind of falls apart versus a Charlotte Tilbury, as an example, who was a makeup artist who cared, who wanted another makeup artist line, right? But she had a point of view. She wanted to develop looks. She is a personality, a force to be reckoned with, and she's very present in her brand. And, you know, some people might say it looks like, you know, crazy circus sometimes when you look at those Instagrams, but it's, it's her and she's real and she's there. So that's, that's terrific. And maybe you're making an interesting point in that tactically she was, the whole thing was stretched too far and she wasn't able to, you know, you, you, because you weren't feeling that presence in that cosmetics line in that beauty line, maybe everything was just, they're just spread too thin on things. And, and maybe they, the idea is look, let's, and I, you know what, I commend that. I think that if they, if they understood like, look, 
we should do we should do what we do really well and not try to do everything sort of well is is a right. really nice Nice I don't choice. know that it was uh, all that coordinated. I think it was just wasn't working economically. I think that yeah, I mean, well, I, w I would think it would be tough. I mean, I, I, like I said, fashion wise, I think that some of the looks were really on. I think yeah. it was just so uh, tough. switching gears um, stores and I mean physical stores. Will people go back to them? I mean, obviously, there was a huge shift during the last 12 months um in some segments more than others but the minute that we can start to go out celebrate have parties maybe partially work in an office or common space will we go back in physical stores as well or do you think uh, let's start with you leslie that we've gotten too accustomed to online shopping to ever go back to a mall or a high yeah. street i mean i'm i, I don't think this is going to be i'm going to put out all my unpopular opinions i don't know what everyone's talking about i don't know what else you're going to do like are you literally <laughs> going to just stay in your house all the time i don't know why people aren't going out right now i i get it i get it but there's only two choices stay in and never do anything and expire or go out and like take a chance and enjoy yourself i do not i mean be safe i wouldn't go kissing salespeople or licking doorknobs but like I do not understand when, I don't even understand when people say no one's ever gonna work in an office full time again. What else is everyone doing? Where are you going? I don't understand. <laughs> what are you doing? You have to do something. And like, how do you know if you put the right combination of people in the, in the office or the, or the store at that time? I mean, who knows? Every bag has a hole in it. I don't even understand what they're saying. You know, take away food. Everything's better because people thought through it. I do not think people are not going to shop. I think we have to have interesting, exciting places to shop. Mm -hmm. I think that merchandising has to go back to the actual discipline of merchandising and actually curate and assort selling floors so that people are interested to walk into them. I think the trend has to stop being about what everybody else is doing and start being about what people are feeling and why they're feeling it. And to Annie's point, have a point of view. Yes. Nobody cares if you have no point of view. Otherwise, you should be um, a commodity store. And what I would like to see on my wish list, I would like all of the malls to be big boxes. Put the Staples in the mall, put the Barnes & Noble in the mall, put the Walmart in the mall, put the TJX in the mall, put them all in the malls and let all local businesses have personality and craftsmanship and originality. And let's take back all the towns and villages and give them a real, it used to be so nice when you could discover something. The, the ability to discover something is so gone. I would love for us to get back to a space where there's some real interesting things going on. And if you make interesting things, people will come. Right, well, amen to that. Wait, and so Annie, we're gonna take a quick break, but you are gonna have the last word on this because my next question, which you're gonna answer after the break, is what does this mean for beauty? Are, are there actually in the physical stores, are we gonna be able to try on eyeshadows, you know, in an open cell environment again, or is that just a, another pandemic waiting to happen? Um, but I am totally with you, Leslie. We gotta get back into discovery mode and, um, and, and making stores worth going into. That's really the biggest challenge. Um, so take a quick break. We will be right back with Leslie Guys and Annie Carullo. You're listening to Tastemakers. We now return to Tastemakers with Pauline Brown on Sirius XM Stars. Hello and welcome back to Tastemakers. I'm here with Leslie Guys and Annie Carullo. We are talking the future, but the future is here. So uh, let's talk about the here and now. 
Before the break, Leslie was talking about how, and I fully agree with her, retail, and I mean bricks and mortar retail, has a place in society as long as the stores are exciting and well merchandised, people will come back. Annie, you are a expert in cosmetics. You've seen Sephora thrive. It was an upstart, you know, 20 years ago here in the U.S., and now it's the leading retailer of cosmetics. It, it, it thrived on this open cell environment where you could try pretty, pretty much anything you want and without any of the salespeople bothering you. Now, coming on the other end of this, are people going to feel comfortable sampling in shops like that? Is there going to be a new format for trying? Um, I think it's really super interesting because... Um, when the Sephora model opened, it was like, oh my God, this is so fabulous. I can go in and try what I want. And there's actual tissues there. And there's, you know, there's a tissue I can wipe my hand off. It's like, that's how horrible customer service had become that we were excited that a tissue box was on the <laughs> side of the counter. Um, uh, and then you go into a Sephora now and it, it feels like a jungle of just brands all over the place. And but what I will remind a lot of people is that many years ago, um, when you went through a beautiful Bloomingdale's beauty department, uh, most of those uh, brands did not display their product. You were not able to get to the actual live product, uh, which made the other kind of trend interesting. But I believe there's something in the middle. And I think brands that understand the white glove service to a consumer who wants to come and get a makeup, makeup um, can be shown that it could be completely hygienic. Uh, I remember when Mac launched in Nordstrom's um, and there were lines around the table of people just wanting to try lipsticks on and the people behind the counter were just like dumping the lipstick in an alcohol vac, you know, just like, here, I'll <laughs> dump it in here and they'll try it on. Like everybody was, so I, I don't think it'd be that dramatic, but I do think that um, with careful, uh, mindful demonstration of how you can present product to someone, it actually can enhance the experience you don't feel like you're in a jungle. You don't feel like, you know, you, you can feel serviced. Mm -hmm. And um, product can be cleaned very well with, with alcohol and um, just shaving tops and stuff off. So if we can make that part of the demonstration and part of the experience, I think that'll be, it'll be great, actually. Can I just add to that? Because I think what's interesting, um, first of all, we, you mentioned earlier the digital experience. I think there's a lot going on with people even using their the retail selling space as like a streaming or video or broadcasting position so that they can make their digital presence more interesting because digital was flat too, truthfully. Mm -hmm. But what I think is interesting is all the sales on beauty and skincare that happen digitally. And you will like buy something and then all of a sudden realize, you know what, I didn't smell that. Like I would like to know what that smells like. But um, I think that if the beauty industry takes time to think through sample sizing and I know Annie that sampling is like an expense issue with like the packaging and the that kind of thing like smaller sizes of things but I would bet that you could increase sales if there was a, less of a commitment when you were buying a product like a no joke like a smaller lipstick a smaller um, face wash or mm -hmm. like a, a travel size version of everything like so that people could actually make that sit make that purchase online and test that product without feeling like they spent $800 on skincare and now they have all these products they don't like. So I also see like in store, there could be a way to have like sample product in small like containers that are totally hygienic that you just like slip off and give to the person to try on. 
But the other side is that then people are going to think, oh, it's one, it's one dosage, it's one sampling, and it's too much right. plastic and all that other stuff. Right, right. But you know, the technologies existed. You know, we we can zap, we can zap brushes, we can zap products. You can just take it in a tray. If I'm so, if I'm going to do your makeup as an example, I could take what I'm going to try on your lips, your cheeks, your eyes, and we'll just put it, put it in, a, in a gamma chroma, a gamma, you know, ultralight zap it and take all the bugs and everything off it. And, you know, <laughs> all the bugs. Well, yeah, you know, no, what? No, literally I, bugs, literally bugs. I mean, I, I, I'm feeling like all those years that I had makeup artists touching my face, all those bugs on their fingers. <laughs> Trust me. Bugs everywhere I look. They, did, they didn't kill you though, did they? I'm still alive. I actually they made you alive. stronger. What you don't know is they made you stronger. It's true. And it you know did. what? I mean, I even think about like going into a dressing room in a in a store when you're trying on things that perhaps, you know, in a Zara with that volume, 75 people tried it on before you. There are bugs and everything we've yeah. <laughs> touched. Yeah. So um, I have time for one more question for each of you. And, uh, and this really is going to require you to put your futurist hat on. But one or two big predictions, not so much for 2021 or 22, but maybe for the next like five years, something that people wouldn't expect. In it could be in retail, could be in beauty, could be in fashion. Let's see, you got one? Oh my God, Annie, you go first. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if it's something that I, someone wouldn't see, but it's definitely something that I think uh, retailers or um, mall owners or such should really be thinking about. And that is creating a destination for um, consumers of all desires, whether it's, you know, I remember going to Selfridges just not too long ago, right before the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, this is what shopping is supposed to be like. It's fun. I got my hair done. I got my eyebrows done. I did my nails. I got a bite to eat. I had a drink. I went back shopping. I got some shoes. Like that that collective um, sort of spirit of going out for the day and saying, oh, wow, I just saw this little, like this person singing down the, the, the corridor. Or, you know, I just think the idea of community um, in terms of how we behave as a, mm -hmm. as a society. And if we apply that to shopping and if we apply that to merchandising and if we apply that to the goods that we consume, I think that we'll find our way forward in a way that is fun, it's exciting. Um, I also think just in general that the way we uh, take care of ourselves will be greatly impacted uh, if, it, if it hasn't already. Um, and the idea of not only living longer, but living longer, healthier, mm -hmm. uh, and free of disease is going to be paramount. Mm. Uh, Leslie. Okay, I think that in terms of long term, I think this whole influencer social media thing is going to fall apart. Okay, I'm going to go right out on the limb. I really do. I think that if you watch certain things right now, and if you watch them in a particular order, like um, the Social Dilemma, uh, Fake Famous on HBO, um, the uh, Paris Hilton on YouTube, there's a thing called This is Paris. If you kind of watch that combination of stuff, you will realize how truly untrue all of this is. 
So I think that influence is going to morph into expertise and authority. And that is what's going to be really important. And everybody who is good at what they do is going to get, should get recognized. And those are the people who are going to lead. I mm. think it's going to take a little while. I think that the winners in retail, and I, I, I think that this is my common thread for this. I think that the winners in retail are truly going to have to stop they're going to have to cleanse themselves and stop worrying about what brands they they need or should carry or how they should carry them. I think they should start, they should flip the script and see what the customer wants, why they want it and when they want it, and they will be more successful. So I think that merchandising as an art is going to come back. That influencers are going to turn into actual experts and authorities. Oh, I can't wait. So, is, And those weren't so much predictions as wishes. <laughs> well, can I add a wish? Can yes. I wish that the Kardashians just disappear? <laughs> Kendall just made tequila, you know, today, and she's getting abused today for making tequila. For okay. some reason, every other celebrity can make tequila, but this girl cannot make tequila. Well, yeah, you know what happened with uh, the makeup uh, extension that the Estee Lauder yeah. edited a couple of years ago. She's so she, she has her, her some, some guardrails going on. Yeah. Um, but boy, does she have a lot of followers, and I can't wait till they cancel out on that. Um, well, look, we, we, we have to wrap up. You guys are each awesome. Um, I wish we had an extra hour. Uh, so I'll have you back soon. <laughs> Leslie, for, for people who might want to learn more about Toby, be able to access your services, where can they find you? They can go to Toby, T-O-B-E, T-D-G.com. Okay. And, and thank you so much for having me. I love it every time. And oh, Annie, you are you so know fun. Um, and, and Annie, where, where can people find you? Uh, creative consultant, you uh, you do really interesting projects. I even had you connected with a dental opportunity. So oh, that was hilarious. Uh, but listen, I love to do um, creative teaching and, and uh, inspiration conversations of, about branding and stuff. So um, if people want to reach out to me, it would be ancarulo13 at gmail.com. Whoa, she gives her email. Uh, and you know, that's very um, Gen X of you. I thought you'd give us like an Instagram handle or something. Oh, no. Anyway, but that's also, that's, that's, that's very accessible of you. I like it. Thank you. Thank you again, both of you. Thank you for having have me. Back. And thank you as always to my producer, Ciara Kaiser, and our excellent sound engineer, Mark Aflalo. You've been listening to Tastemakers. I look forward to reconnecting next week. <laughs>